Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm Meredith Ancoz. I'm the teaching pastor here, and we are finishing up our series, Crazy Like Us. If you are new to The Rock Day, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the last uh, four weeks or three weeks, plus this one before. Uh, and it's all about who we are as a church. We've been walking through our core values, and today we're going to be talking about how we value collectively growing. But just recently, I read a study, read a report that it's really hard for married couples, especially married couples with kids, to have mutual friends. And some of you may be feeling this, like, yeah, just like the time goes where you don't, like, you get your kids in bed, and by the time you're, like, ready to go to bed, you're not like, let's have someone over, you know? It's, so it's really hard to make friends. So what's happened is what's replaced real-life mutual friends is TV mutual friends. And some of you have this, right? And I know I have this. So TV mutual friends where, like, your friends become the, the people that you watch on television. And I recently was convicted that this is true for me because two different occasions, I had a moment where I was trying to remember something. And so one of them, I was having a conversation with Steve, and I'm like, I'm trying to remember what my friend said. Just a friend said something recently that was really important. And then I realized, oh, no, that wasn't a friend. That was someone on Survivor. I don't know them, you know? And then I was... Well, scrolling through my Instagram feed, and another friend had someone on there. I'm like, oh, we have a mutual friend. Have you ever had this? Where you're like, I wonder how we both know this person. And I was thinking about it, trying to figure out how would we both know this person. And I realized, oh, no, they're not a friend either. They're on the Great British Baking Competition, and I don't know them. So I am just as guilty of this as anyone else. But here's the thing. Friendship gets harder as you get older. Am I right? It gets harder because when you're younger, you're surrounded by peers and you're all kind of in the same stage and you ha your job, like when you go to school, your job is to go to school and hang out with people and learn stuff, right? But as you get older, it gets harder to find time to make those friends. And what they're finding is loneliness is on the rise, especially in the United States. People are feeling isolated, alone, unknown, left out. And there are two major factors that are really contributing to the rise in loneliness in the United States. One of those is social media, and it's ironically named, right? Because social media is one of these things where you can be connected to everyone, right? Every single, you meet someone at a conference and suddenly now you're friends on Facebook, and you're like, I don't even really know this person. How many of you have people who pop up on your Facebook feed and you're like, how do I even know this person? Where did I meet them? Especially if they put something weird on there and you're like, I don't, do I, why am I friends with this person? And you can know all the things about all the people, right? You can know everyone's anniversary and you can be reminded of your best friend in first grade when their birthday is, even though you haven't talked to them in a really long time. And so you've got all these connections, all these social connections. But what social scientists have found is that social media is kind of like playing a slot machine. That every time you pull you know, you go on to social media, it's like pulling that lever, and you wonder, like, is something amazing going to happen? Am I going to see something exciting? Is something going to make my day? Is something just going to be so spectacular? I'll be so happy. And so every time you go on social media, what happens is the reward center in your brain starts to fire, right? Because something might be rewarding when I go on it. I might learn something. I might laugh at something. But what doesn't fire is the connection center in your brain. And so it becomes this addictive thing of like, maybe, maybe this is going to make me feel happy. Maybe this is going to make me feel satisfied. Maybe this is going to fill up this empty spot inside of me. But when you're with a real person, both of those parts of your brain's fire, of, of your brain, of your, your reward center, because you never know what's going to happen in a conversation and your connection center. But on social media, that doesn't happen. And so we have this thing filling up our social space and our social capacity, but not 
having us be connected. And they're finding this, especially with teenagers. They call them screenagers. And they're more connected than ever on social media, but they're the loneliest generation by far because they aren't learning how to connect in person. And so we've got, we've got this thing that's filling up all of our space. And you would actually be more satisfied with your life if you went out and talked to a perfect stranger on the street than if you spent a great deal of time on your best friend's social media page because you're more likely to be connected. And the other thing they found is this direct correlation between social media and life satisfaction. So if you are somewhat satisfied with your life and you think things are going pretty good and I kind of like my job and I like the people that I'm around and then you go spend some time on social media, what they found is afterwards you will like your life a little bit less. And they don't know why, but there's something about not actually feeling connected, but having that social space filled. The other factor that's leading to our loneliness is busyness, right? Because so many of us are so busy and overscheduled, we actually don't have time to build friendships. Most of the place where we would build friendships as a grown-up is work, our neighborhood, you know, maybe like school interactions, but most of those interactions are so short that we don't actually have time to grow in relationship with one another. Because we, especially if we have kids, we've overscheduled ourselves, our own life and our kids' lives because we don't want to miss out. We have this fear of missing out. And so our busyness is leaving us with very little time to actually connect with people. So between our connection being filled up and our, and our busy schedules, we are becoming a nation of lonely people. That we're surrounded by people, but we don't actually feel like we have friends. People who know us and love us and care about us. And this is becoming a loneliness epidemic. And so one of, one of the big antidotes to loneliness, one of the biggest antidotes that I believe right now to loneliness is the church. It is the church because the church is one of those few places where you can come and genuinely get to know one another and genuinely belong to something bigger than yourself, which is why collectively growing is one of our core values here at The Rock. And I want to go into that today because the church has always stood out for its relational nature. It's all from the very beginning. It wasn't the beliefs that made it stand out. It was how they treated one another and each other. Here's a description of the early church. Someone outside of the church who was observing the early church, and they said this, Christians obey the established laws. Indeed, in their private lives, they transcend the laws. They love everyone, and by everyone they are persecuted. They are unknown, yet they are condemned. They are put to death, yet they are brought to life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are in need of everything, and yet they abound in everything. They are dishonored, and yet they are glorified in their dishonor. They are slandered, and yet they are vindicated. They are cursed, yet they bless. They are insulted, yet they offer respect. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. When they are punished, they rejoice as though brought to life. By the Jews, they are assaulted as foreigners. By the Greeks, they are persecuted. Yet those who hate them are unable to give a reason for their hostility. From the very beginning, the church stood out as, like, they just couldn't wrap their mind around it. How do these people care about one another so deeply? How do they care about people who are hurting them and persecuting them? Their love, their relationships are so different, and it confounded everyone around them. And so, and I believe that should be true about the church today, that what they are saying back then should still be at the core of who we are. So I want to go back to the very beginning of the church. And we started our series off with this passage as well. 
the very beginning, the origins, to see what is at the heart of the church? What is at the heart of, of this family, this crazy family that God is building that makes us so confusing, makes us look a little bit crazy to those around us, but yet also they desire to be part of it. So let's go right back to the very beginning in Acts chapter 2. And as the church is just getting started, this is what we read. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And so this like I said in the very beginning of the series, this is the beginning of the story, and then it gets more complicated. But it is also still the heart of the church. It is the heart of what should be true about us. It is a, an idyllic picture of the church, and yet it is what we should strive for. Because what we see in here are four core things that make the church unique, back, both back then and today. It's what we here at The Rock call the four Gs, and I want to walk through those. So what are the four things, the four characteristics of the church then and now that really make us stand out, that make this unique. And so the first one that's foundational is that they gather. That's the first G, is they gather together. Because this is a group of worshipers and followers of Jesus. And so they gather, they listen to the apostles' teaching. It says they are devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And, and that word devoted doesn't just mean like, oh, they really, really liked it. It means that they were, they were trying to seek how to live it out every single day to understand it, to, to internalize it. And so a huge part of that was being regularly together and learning together what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. They prayed together. They met in the temple to worship together. They were regularly together because that, that is key to what forms you what you hear on a regular basis, what you take in on a regular basis. It's kind of like you are what you eat, right? If you eat lots of bad food, inside you're going to get sick. If you eat good food, inside you're going to get well, right? And so it's the same thing with what you are taking in, in terms of what you are learning and what you are believing and, and what you are internalizing. And so if you are taking in the teachings of Jesus and devoting yourself to the teachings of Jesus and learning how to live them out in, in a group, then then it will start to change you from the inside out. And so gathering was key to the early church. They gathered regularly, consistently. And so gathering is essential to growing. Gathering is essential to growing. And if we want to grow here, then being here is a huge part of that. I said last week that, you know, on average, a regular church attender, someone who considers themselves a regular church attender, attends church 1.25 times a month, right? And I said, anything that you do 1.25 times a month, anything else, you would say you don't do that regularly, right? Again, if you only exercise 1.25 times a month, you are not an exerciser, right? You, you exercise occasionally, but you're not an exerciser. And so here's the thing about gathering is that consistency matters, because what you are taking in on a regular basis matters. And being part of the, the larger crowd actually shapes us. Because you might not get to know every single person in this church. You might not know everyone personally. But when we come together, 
we're not a group of strangers, right? We are a group of public belongers, right? We, and we need that. It's kind of like when you go to a concert, right? You might be surrounded by people you don't know, but you're all having a shared experience and it shapes you. Or when you see someone who has your same exact sports team, like if I see someone you're about to boo with Patriots stuff on, because I'm from New England, um, I feel like, oh, we belong. We belong to the same thing, right? And when you are here together, we belong to the same thing. And so gathering consistently matters. It especially matters for our kids and students. It especially matters for our kids and students because they have so many messages that come at them every single day. Right? They have messages that tell them that unless they behave this way, they're not good enough. Right? Or unless they can perform to this level, they don't belong. Or unless they look this way or act this way, they, they're not worth anything. But they come here and they have grown-ups who say, you know what? You're worth something because God says you're worth something. You're created in the image of God. You are loved and special and you matter. Right? And they need that on a consistent basis to counter all the other messages out there that tell them they're not good enough. And so we need that. What we are gathering is essential to, to growing. But it, they, it was more than just gathering in large groups, like in large crowds. What they did, the second G here is groups because they started to make it personal. They met in homes, right? They, they prayed together in homes. They shared meals together and they shared the Lord's Supper. But it, it wasn't just like they got together to do this ritual. They got together to eat with one another, to share real meals on a regular basis in their homes. They made it personal because they were devoting themselves to learning what does this mean to be a follower of Jesus. And just like that was essential when the church started, groups of getting, getting it smaller and more intimate and really knowing one another, making it part of everyday life and not just an activity that I go to, but something that I'm regularly seeking out to live out in my life. It is essential for us to also be in groups because to truly go deep in our faith, we need a space to ask deep questions. We need people who know what's going on in our lives, who know the details of our lives. So it's great that when we come together and we worship together and we gather together and we sing together, something amazing happens, right? It feels special to be in this room with one another when we're hearing the, the, the talk each week and it's shaping us. That's great, but we need our people to surround us and to know how we are personally trying to live that out. And that's why groups are so foundational here at The Rock. We have groups in all age groups. I don't know if you know that. We have groups in our Kids Rock group. We have groups in our Student Rock. And we have groups for adults. And normally we do life groups, but this fall we're having all adults, we're challenging all adults to be part of Alpha. And Alpha is launching on September 15th, and that is group-based, where you come and you get a teaching, you get to share a meal together, and then you get to talk and ask your questions and explore faith and make your faith journey personal. Because in order to collectively grow, we need to gather, we need to experience the big experience, but we also need to have those people who are helping us personally live out our faith. And so I would, I would really challenge you, if you're not part of a group, to get in a group. If, you're, if, that, if that's your next step to growing so that people actually know you and you can, you can make your faith more personal. And to invest in the groups of our kids and our students. If you feel led, you know, they need group leaders. They need people who are going to ask them questions and talk with them about their faith journey. So we, we value groups for all ages because we believe that, that we grow best when it gets personal. The third thing that made this community unique 
that made it special, that made it stand out, was that they give. They give. Because being a follower of Jesus radically changed the way that they saw wealth and possessions. It, it totally transformed it. And, and what we hear is that they, start, they held everything in common. Like, what is mine is yours. And they started to sell their property and their possessions. And what's really cool about that is that includes everyone. Because the rich had property to sell. Right? So the rich would sell their property, and they had a lot. They, had, they could contribute more because they had more. But possessions, everyone had possessions. And so everyone was able to contribute to this community. Everyone saw that they had a part to play. But what is so great about it is that it says it was, it was marked with great joy and generosity. This was not done under compulsion. This wasn't done under guilt. This wasn't like, oh, I should be giving, and I guess everyone else is doing it, so I'm going to do it. This has changed my life. God is doing something amazing, and I want to be part of it. I, I want to be part of it because Jesus says there is nothing outside of money that competes for your loyalty, for your allegiance, and for your love. There's nothing outside of money. Money is the number one thing that competes with our allegiance to God. Number one thing. And so when we actually start growing in our faith, when we start growing as followers of Jesus, he starts to loosen that grip that we have or that wealth has on us. And we start to say, this is not, this is not just for me. This is for us. This is for what God wants to do. And I want to be part of that. I want to join God in that. And so here at The Rock, we would say, if you want to measure your maturity in Christ, measure your generosity. I'm going to say that one more time. If you want to measure your maturity in Christ, of how well you are doing in growing in your relationship with Jesus and actually faithfully following him and devoting yourself to his teaching, measure your generosity. If you are holding on to your stuff and your money so tight, I have to tell you, you don't have a grip on it. It has a grip on you. And part of what the church does is it frees us to say, you are not your wealth. You are not your paycheck. You are not your savings account. And generosity begins to set us free. And so Part of, Steve said it earlier, part of the thing to know is we are here to see lives transformed by the love of Jesus, and today we're going to celebrate that in a little bit, but that happens because of us, because of you and me. We are 100% member funded, right? 100%. It's us investing in what God wants to do. It's us saying, you know what? God is up to something, and God wants to do even more and make a bigger impact in our community, and I want to be part of that. I want to grow my generosity because I don't want money to own me. Because too often it doesn't. So if you aren't a giver here, I'm going to challenge you to consider being a giver. If this place is making a difference in your life, then be part of it. Be part of helping it make more of a difference in more people's lives. And, and start your generosity journey. I want to show you, we talk about a generosity path here. And it kind of looks like this, right? So our generosity pathway, there's the initial giver. Maybe you have never, ever, ever, ever given to a church. Maybe you're here and you're like, all oh, the church ever does want my money. Well, no, but... But we want you to be part of what's going on here. And part of that is participating. And so the first step is to be an initial giver, to give something, to participate somehow. But we don't want to just stay there. We don't want to be God tippers, right? Like, oh, you know, I come and like I might tip my waitress $5, so I'll tip God $5 for the work that he's doing in my life. We want money to lose its grip on us. And so we want to become regular givers where we're consistently giving to the ministry. You know, and that's some sort of percentage, that's some sort of regular commitment. But ultimately, we want to move to tithing. 
because tithing is giving 10% of what, what is given to you. And, and Dave Ramsey says this, and I, and, I've, and I believe it. He says, listen, if you can't live off 90%, you can't live off 100%, right? If you, if you feel like that 10% is make or break, and sometimes it is, sometimes it is, but more often than not, it's not. You know, and we've convinced ourselves, I need that 10%. If I don't have that, then I'm not going to make it. If you can't live off 90%, you probably can't live off 100%. And so I, I want to challenge us to be tithers, to say, you know what, 10%, I get to keep 90% because everything is a gift. And then eventually, we all want to be moving towards legacy givers, which means that we're looking beyond ourselves, you know, beyond building my own empire and beyond what, what's going to make me look great, and how can I invest in God's kingdom beyond myself, beyond what I already have. And so I would encourage you, wherever you are on that path, to think about what's your next step, because if you want to measure your maturity, measure your generosity. If you want to measure your maturity, measure your generosity. And so with that, you know, the last one, the last G that really makes the church unique and different is what we would say gifts, gifts. And what this means is that people are bringing their, their abilities and contributing to the community. And we first see this with the apostles, right? They're teaching and they're praying and we see signs and wonders. And, and they're making this big contribution to the, to the community. But as the story goes on, it becomes very clear really quick that the apostles can't do everything. They can't meet every need. And so the rest of the community has to start to say, well, what can I bring? And what gift do I? Maybe I'm not a teacher, but I'm a servant. You know, and, and maybe I can, I can pray or I can, I can support this person. And so we begin to see that the whole community each has something to give. And we talk about spiritual gifts, and those are divine enablements that the Spirit gives to build up the community of Christ. And everyone has one. Every single person has one. And sometimes those gifts line up with your natural ability, abilities, and sometimes they're surprising. But everyone has a contribution to make. And here's the thing. If you have a gift and you aren't bringing it to the community, we are weaker for it. We are weaker because we can't do everything. The staff can't do everything. Even our volunteer base that we currently have can't do everything. You have something special and unique to contribute. And we, we all need that. We all have a part to play. That is what is so wonderful about the church is everyone has a role to play. No one is superfluous. No one is unworthy. No one is unneeded. Everyone has something to bring to the table. And so here's the thing about your gifts. If you don't know what your gifts are, if you, don't, if you think, I, I, don't, I don't know what, I, what I'm good at or what I could do, well, lucky for you, your next step is next step. And next step launches next week, next Sunday. And we're running it every month. First and second Sunday of the month starts at 8.30. We got childcare, we got coffee. And the week one is learning about who we are as a church. You're going deeper into that. And week two is learning about who you are. And we do a spiritual gifts test and help you find your place here, help you find a way to get connected. So if you are not currently connected, then sign up for next step. You can sign up, you can show up, but be part of that. Learn your gifts. Learn the contribution that you can make. Because if you're not contributing, we, we are weaker for it. We need your contribution. Every single one of us, you have a part to play, and it's important that you play that part. Because here's the thing. We all start out coming to church and coming to this community of, like, what can I get out of it? What is God going to teach me? What is God doing inside of me? And that's a great place to start. But if you really want to grow, the best way to grow is when you start serving others. 
And when church isn't just about what's in it for me, but church suddenly becomes, what do I have to contribute for others? And we start partnering with God, and we start seeing lives change because we are playing our part. So if you don't know your gifts, then sign up for Next Step. If you have a passion and you already know what it is, maybe you feel like, I want to invest in the next generation. I am passionate about the faith of kids and students, and I want to make sure that that they keep learning and growing. Well, there's, there's room in our Next Step ministry. You know, maybe you are someone who just really wants to make sure that when someone walks in these doors for the very first time, they feel incredibly welcomed and at home. And you just have that natural presence to meet people where they are and help them feel like you are welcomed here and we were ready for you. You can be part of our first impressions team. Maybe you have a knack for the creative and you're a photographer or you're a videographer or you love music or maybe you're great at technical things and you could, you're like, I can totally do computer stuff or admin stuff. Everyone has a part to play. We have a, a form out on our welcome area that you can go fill out. If you already know, like, this is where I want to jump in. This is what I have. We will get back in touch with you this week. I promise you, this week, you will hear back from someone to help you learn to take your next step here. Everyone has a part to play, and we all are invited to play that. And so, closing, in closing, I want to say, I, I love the church. I love the church. I have given my life to serving the church. And I know the church gets it wrong a lot of the time, right? And the church has not always been helpful. The big collective church has not always been helpful in society. But I love the church because I love the family that God is building. Because when you become part of the church, when you join this, you're not joining a club. You join a family, and it's a place where you can actually find belonging, and you can find meaning, and you can find significance, and you can find connections, and you don't have to be lonely, and you're told that you are loved because you are loved. I love the church, and I want to see the church keep growing. And when, and when we do this, we, when we look at the end of our passage, it says this, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. See, that community stood out and people respected them because they lived different. And you know what? It should not be any different today. People should look at us and say, I don't know how you're making such good friends. I don't know how you feel so supported and people actually know what's going on in your life or people are praying for you or you guys are having so much, you're having a barbecue after church. That sounds awesome, right? Like people should look at us and say, I want to be part of what's going on there. I want to join in with what's happening in your community because we are a family. We are brothers and sisters, and people should want to be part of that. We should be, we should be excited to talk about it with other people because it's, it's making such a difference in our lives. That's what I would hope for us, that, people would, that God would keep adding to our number because people need a family. They need a place to belong and to be loved and to be known. And so we don't grow on our own. We don't do this on our own. We grow as we gather and as we meet in groups and as we learn to give and as we learn to use our gifts. And here's the coolest thing. This story all begins with baptism. We go back to the very beginning of the church because right before I read that first passage, it says this. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Because baptism was 
and still is the sign that you are part of this family, that God has changed you, that God has done a work in you, and you belong. You belong to us. You belong with us. You are one of us. You are a brother and a sister. Baptism is a sign that says God has changed me so much. He has changed me from the inside out, and I want to declare that. I declare that I have been made new. And so maybe you know, we have 10 people already who are taking that step today, and we can clap for that right now. Yeah. We have 10 people who, have set, who, are, say, who are joining our family today who said, I'm in. God has done something to me, and I want to be part of this. But hey, maybe you've been sitting here, and you've been feeling that tug of like, Oh, God, I know, I know, I know, I know the next step is baptism, and I didn't, I don't know if I want to do it. I'm going to be brave. If God has done a work in your life, and you haven't been baptized, and you want to be part, you want to declare that you are part of this family, that God has done something in, in you, then just come on down to this side, right over here. And these lovely folks right up front, they will meet you, and they, we've got a shirt for you. We've got a change of clothes for you. We are prepared for you, right? So I'm going to give us some time. We're about to sing a song, a song that says, are you ready? Because God's ready for you. And during that song, if you are feeling that God is nudging you towards baptism, don't ignore that. Don't ignore that today. Be brave. Declare who Jesus is in your life and what Jesus has done. And so we're going to do baptism in just a few minutes, but let's, let's reflect on all that God has done for us and this family that he has built and the way that he loves us no matter who we are and where we start.